The philosopher Goethe says, All truly wise thoughts have been thought already thousands of times, but to make them truly ours, we must think them over again honestly, till they take root in our personal experience. Welcome to Thinking Aloud, where it is my goal to think twice. So the last time I talked about community, and I love that journey so much that I really wanted to add this little extra piece to the puzzle. I don't know. This might turn into a series. Um, I have no idea. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about community and relationships and, and what it means to work well together and live well together. Um, and it doesn't matter what your faith parameters or your faith expression is. We are human beings who live near other human beings, and I think we can do better. And I think that it costs us a lot personally when we don't have a healthy relationship with the humans around us. So that's kind of where this is coming from. I've loved the mental journey that I've been on a lot more than the physical journey, the way that this has actually been walked out. Um, sharing about what has and hasn't worked in my life, thinking about the things I've witnessed, the conclusions I've made. It's been interesting, definitely an interesting thought process. The crux of community, it, it lies in the formation of deeply felt and expressed individual relationship bonds. So community as a whole is multifaceted, but really it comes down to the bonds between two humans and then those two humans who they connect to as well. Those are the kinds of bonds that keep you connected in crisis and in celebration, and the kind that you're willing to hold on to despite the complexity of lives not lived cheek to cheek, people that you don't see every day in every stage of their life. Although, at one point in my life, many moons ago, I lived in a ministry community. We ate together, we lived together, we worked together, played together. It was like having a 45-acre multi-dwelling family. And it definitely had its perks, but it had its drawbacks too, for sure. So for like, I think two and a half years-ish, every meaningful relationship in my life was built around this group of people. All the new experiences of adulthood, living independently from my family for the first time, all of that existed within the confines of that group of people who were for all intents and purposes, truly literal strangers. We had an externally imposed sense of relativity, of relationship, and even unity based on effort expended toward common goals, and we shared deeply emotional and spiritual events, and all of that tended to create a profound sense of closeness that neither time nor actual mutual effort had the chance to build. One of the significant issues I had with this community was there was the unrelenting pressure to, quote, show up, to engage, to invest in these other people, and, quote, pour out, if I'm using the terminology, for the greater goal with little thought or opportunity given to the importance of organic bonding and connection. And that story will play out throughout this entire podcast. Most of us in this group were college age. There were definitely some higher up in the leadership structure who were 
middle-aged, and some even senior citizens. And for those of us who were young, we jumped headlong into much of the opportunities in front of us with little to no consideration. We trusted easily, and we bounced back quickly from disappointments and frustrations, and we were given tools, tools, I say that gently, in specialized trainings that were intended to equip us to change the world. But frankly, it was sort of like telling me to build a house with a Phillips screwdriver. I'm neither a builder nor an architect. And the best I could do was spackle holes and hope for the past, knowing that it would never stand the test of time, but it might look good for a moment or even a few years. And those years were so formative for me in so many ways. And in most of them, to be honest, not positive. I learned to see how fickle and transitory people are, especially the people who follow lofty visions but don't have the capacity to invest deeply in the people around them, like the ones who are close to them. Big words on stage, nothing to share with the people off. It's like building a treehouse is fun. It's an adventure. But no one wants to live there long term. We want the stability of the earth. We want to have a foundation. We want the immovable security of the ground. Well, most of us do. But these loud, effervescent visionaries with their stories of miracles and provision and opportunity fed this desire that we all had, the ones who weren't them, to be included in this magnificent life. We felt like we muddled along in a mundane service role while, you know, trying to make coffee and cookies for a leadership meeting look like some sort of richly fulfilling opportunity to serve the body of Christ. You know, gift of hospitality, y'all. Gift of hospitality. And if you weren't one of the stars, you served behind the scenes in, honestly, sort of an indentured servitude, hoping for your opportunity, your big story to unfold your burning bush to manifest so you could finally feel that the purpose we all craved existed for you. But only a few seemed to attain it. It was this war between being purposely placed and being intentionally used. It was a war between being purposefully placed and being intentionally used. Acres of fish who thought they should ride bicycles. That's a reference to the Albert Einstein quote that says something about um, teaching a fish to ride a bicycle is the equivalent of asking someone to do something that they lack the capacity or even the inclination to do, and then using that as a measure of their intelligence. Fish don't ride bicycles. They're not stupid because they don't ride bicycles. They're fish. They have another purpose. So this, that's what I believed, true community, or what I like to say, committed unity, oh, that's a cool catchphrase, committed unity, was supposed to be that you come in and you serve, and you serve, and you serve, and you serve until you're at your wit's end. I was 19, and my heart was confused, and life was hard. And I had experienced a shift in identity to the point that all I'd ever known was gone. 
stripped away. I was left with vague expectation and this unyielding weight put on me by a traveling evangelist. A middle-aged man in cheap shoes with slick haircut who told me that I just needed to be patient and I would stand before thousands for Jesus. (laughs) Those words haunted me for nearly 20 years before I was able to finally put them out of my mind and let go of the feeling that I was just biding my time until my capital M moment showed up. Because while the classes and the endless meetings and the constant hype kept your body and your brain busy, the pressure to create your own destiny alone, without real mentorship for most, created a vacuum where despair and hopelessness found root. I lived in a place that literally existed for discipleship, and yet there were zero people who consistently walked beside me during those misty, foggy days. I was left reading a book I didn't really understand, told to draw conclusions, but my library of life lessons was bare. All the meaning that I'd had in my old life, I was told to discard so I could embrace this, quote, new. Bluntly, I was told all I knew before was not true, and I was now, quote, free. But free to what? Live in poverty? Alienated from friends I had before and... Longing for someone, anyone, to tell me I mattered beyond my capacity to just quickly and easily pick up and excel at busy work. One afternoon, I sat on a stage next to a man who played the guitar beautifully. He and his family had just returned from a mission abroad, and I was so thrilled that he would spend time with me. See, I had spent most of my life in some sort of musical ministry, at church with my family or in classes all the way through my school years. I achieved high scores at competitions. I could sing light opera with enough skill. I was given top honors. In my tiny graduating class of about 38 people, I was voted most talented female and I had extreme stage fright. I could barely perform when told to, but once I got up front and the music started, I could lose myself in the arpeggios, in the harmonies, and in the music. So Marty sat in front of me in his tie-dye and his Birkenstocks, tunelessly plucking out chords and humming, and then he invited me to join him. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. So I did. Shyly, quietly, I began to harmonize with this vineyard worship song I knew, and then more boldly as the music progressed. And when it was over, he looked at me seriously and said, I don't know if music is for you. And then he got up and left, and I was shattered by his words, so shattered that to this very day, I hear that voice when I play the piano and when a microphone's in my face. To this day, I don't know if I can ever truly believe someone if they say I have the capacity that every musical experience in my childhood affirms is true. And generally, pretty much every musical experience since then But Marty's voice in that vacuum of love, in the place that flew the flag of community, was one of the few who ever gave me clear direction about my place and purpose, and it was simply to tell me that what I was offering wasn't good enough. Had there been someone who advocated for that young woman with big glasses and wild hair, this could have been a very different story, but there wasn't. 
and the shame of being inadequate and rejected was enough to stop me from pursuing music for years. But it wasn't just music that was stripped away in the place I wanted to belong. Who was God? What does it look like to do good? Whose voice should I listen to? What does it even mean to be spiritual? Why does Adam's wild, quote, prophetic vision get traction, even though he's kind of cray-cray, and a total player? Well, the quiet girl who sits in the back is ignored when she does dare to share her ideas and even things that she might believe are true. I grew up in church. I grew up reading the Bible, Bible stories, serving in my local church, ministering with my family, and yes, I did wander really far from those roots in my pursuit of spiritual meaning. I dabbled in some ugliness and darkness in a quest to find that confidence I lacked in my everyday life. And when I did finally let go of all the things that kept me from the life and freedom only Yeshua can give, I was systematically stripped of everything else. My parents' decades of ministry, my siblings, the way they served God, my understanding of who to trust when learning about God were treated like so much garbage. In the face of this new revelation, I was left in an ideological desert. Tumbleweeds bouncing off a dusty, barren wasteland. And there was no one to help me understand where I was. What was I supposed to do about all of this? That is not community. No matter how many books are sold at the bookstore that tried to make you believe it was. Honestly, I would have been probably better off working at Subway until such a time as I was able to see a better world around me than this freeform self-determination that no one prepared me for and no one seemed to care was carving swaths through the lives of young people naive enough to believe the party lines. Naive enough to pay their dollars to fund one more trip abroad into some dubious place with dubious lodging and accommodation to share a cotton candy Jesus with impoverished locals who at least had the upper hand in knowing where they lived and even why. Do I have issues with that place? Oh, yes. I have so many issues. I am not going to lie about that. I learned a lot about what isn't real there. I learned a lot about the difference between the people who say they love you and the people who actually do. I learned to see the similarities between multi-level marketing and most Christian ministries, especially parachurch organizations that live exclusively on the good intentions of well-meaning people who want to pay someone else to live their faith out loud. When I met my husband, I just come back from six weeks away with my family. If you have ever lived in a small community like that, you will understand that when I say six weeks, might have well, I might as well have been gone six months. I felt like a stranger when I returned. The friend groups had shifted, and I was outside. I was an outsider. Even more so than before. My job was being filled by someone else. My tasks had been overtaken. My roommate slightly disgruntled to have to share space again. And I met this man who found me valuable. And he was an outsider too. But then the strangest thing happened. See, I found someone who invested in me. Someone who called me, wanted to hear about me. He talked about God and life and he heard my stories and all my questions. 
and he valued my input, even though we were 1,500 miles apart, and he wasn't gaining anything other than a voice on the other end of a line from my company. The strangest part of the story was that the general consensus from the people who never noticed one way or another if I was even there, with the exception of the tasks that I accomplished, all of a sudden the advice and the counsel, what should Heidi do, poured in like some sort of ridiculous tsunami. One young man even told me he would have pursued me if he'd known I was interested in the same ministry field he was interested in, but now he was just worried. He literally took me out to lunch to tell me he was worried that this long-distance relationship was just a ploy by a womanizer. Dudes, this was so far from the internet. I I have no idea what my husband would have gained from long-distance phone calls that would even qualify as womanizing. But my business became fair game for the community when it was titillating, which, I mean, I I can't even be super critical. I get it. It's fun. And my husband and I have a marvelously romantic story. We married as fast as we possibly could while still having a wedding, which is a choice I regret to this day. I wish we would have eloped, spared the time and expense of a wedding, and just started our lives together that much sooner. But of course, the scuttlebutt was that we married so quickly because sin. Obviously, I mean, I even had someone say they couldn't come to my wedding because they had convictions that they couldn't support our marriage. It wouldn't last, was the general consensus. I think my mom might have even thought I was pregnant. So imagine everyone's surprised when our first baby didn't come for three more years. Silly. This is so much silly. People are funny. I'm not even bitter about it. I mean, I got the best end of the deal. The reason this story is actually coming up right now in my mind is that on the 17th, we celebrated the 29th anniversary of the day we met, and I could not have asked for a better husband. I am truly blessed with Brian. Back to my story. I never felt more part of this community that I was at at that point until I tried to leave. When I was making plans and falling in love and learning how to be loved. And that was when people decided I had value. When I was worth talking about or talking to and noticing. So here's my not obvious takeaway. When Brian treated me like I mattered, I behaved like I mattered. And then the people who didn't notice the mouse in the corner noticed me too. So here's the big idea. Who you notice will matter. Who you invest in will matter. I've always wondered what that experience would have been like if Marty would have suggested a way I could improve instead of telling me my contribution had no value. I wonder what would have happened if someone would have purposed to invite me to coffee or a movie night or consistent morning stroll and actually gave me the breathing room to wonder out loud. If that discipleship, that mentorship I craved would have been offered consistently enough that my trust would have been gained, that I would have accepted the one who offered. And in case you're wondering, I know I'm intense. I know I have a lot of words. As my sister likes to say, Heidi, you're a lot. I am. I am a lot. But that's no excuse to neglect someone. That's no excuse to be so busy with your ministry. You lose sight of those who serve and those who are lost 
those who feel like they're felt mediocrity next to the superstars makes them invisible. Community is easily hindered by both proximity and it is aided by proximity. We have this time together and then we have no time and wonder why we have no connections. Or you intentionally take the time to invest in the people close to you. It's easy to take for granted the people who are right up in your face and in your business every day, but don't do that. Don't take them for granted. Don't take yourself for granted. Be intentional. Take the time to see the people and love them and talk to them and be interested in them. And if we all take one or two and forget about the macro lens of change the world and instead focus on what it takes to change your own world, we just might end up making friends into family. Bare minimum, you will find out how much your voice matters to them, even 31 years later. But wouldn't you rather be the one who gets the accolades and not someone who gets called Marty? Marty.